Hopefully you've opened your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to open also to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Place your program there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're wondering where that is, if you're in 1 Corinthians, just keep going to the right and uh, you'll get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and then uh, we'll start in 1 Corinthians 15. How's everybody doing today? Good, 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 good. All right, well, we have been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we have been in chapter 15 over the last three weeks. Today's going to be the last week that we're in this chapter. Uh, The reason we've been in this chapter for so long is because, first of all, it's the longest chapter in the book, but also, as we've been sharing over the last few weeks, that this chapter is considered by many to be the single most important chapter in the entire Bible. So as we've been through this, this chapter, we, we began by Paul defining for us what the gospel is, and we were able to see what it is and so what it isn't. And so we took a week and we looked at that. And then Paul talked about how this is either true or it's the greatest waste of time ever. And uh, I love his candid, candid way of sharing that. And so we talked about that. And then last week we talked about the resurrection and what, what our lives will be like in eternity in that resurrected body. And one of the things that we shared, we talked about the resurrection. I want you to look very quickly in uh, chapter 15 and verse 41 and uh, from last week. He says, for there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. And glory means brightness or light. And then we underline this. We said, for stars differ from star in glory. Then verse 42, we underline, so also is the resurrection of the dead. And so a a star is a star. And and, uh, the resurrection, you know, he he likens it to stars. A star is a star. It's always a star. It never loses its starness. But some stars are much brighter than others. Some are dimmer and some are almost imperceptible. And some you can only see through a telescope. And the idea, as he uses that as the illustration, our faithfulness here determines what it is that we will be entrusted with in eternity. And so the the admonition was to be faithful because you want to be one of those that, that shines brightly that God entrusts you with so much more in eternity. And we talked about that last week. Then, you'll recall, in verse 12 of chapter 15, a a verse that we've looked at each week, Paul was talking about the resurrection. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some within the church were, were saying that there was no resurrection. So Paul takes the bulk of this chapter and he talks about that. We looked at that last week, what the, what the resurrection will be like, what will be different in our existence, why is it so incredible. But in the middle of that conversation about the resurrection, Paul says, you, know, you, you struggle with the concept of the, the resurrection, but I, I want to take the, the conversation to a whole new level. And so in the middle of this conversation about the resurrection, Paul talks about an event that's commonly referred to as the rapture of the church. Now let me just stay right, stay right up front that when the Bible, uh, when you hear about the rapture of the church, it's something that's considered to be probably the most preposterous thing that we as believers believe. And uh, it would be laughable, we would discount it, we'd just chuckle at it and walk away if the Bible didn't have so much to say about it, and Jesus didn't talk very openly about this event. And so because the Bible says so much about it, and because Jesus speaks so openly, today we're going to talk about that too, because that's what Paul says. I want you to go to verse 50 of of chapter 15, 
And in verse 50, here's what it says. Paul is in the middle of this conversation about the resurrection. He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then Paul says, now behold, I I tell you a mystery. This is where he takes it to a whole new level. He says, you know, we will not all sleep, that is we won't all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Then he says, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be changed. So there is going to be an event sometime in the future that the dead in Christ will be raised, and those of us who are alive when this event takes place, we will be changed. That is, we will receive the resurrection body that we talked about last week. And although we are going to be recognizable to one another, our existence is going to be very, very different. Again, this event is referred to as the rapture of the church. Now, when Jesus talked about this, he described it like this there in your outline. It was in the Last Supper in the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's told them what's going to happen. But he says this, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Remember that he said that. If it were not so, I would have told you. What I'm telling you is the truth. He says, for I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, now underline this, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In this event where, where Jesus is talking about, it will not be that Jesus is coming back to be with us on the earth, but he will come to receive us to be with him. That is where he is. And right now where he is is preparing a place for us. So in this, this event, we go to be with him. So I want you to write this down. The rapture is when Jesus comes for his church, and we would say all believers on the earth. All believers on the earth. So he comes for the church for us to be with him. Now Paul would describe this event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Everybody flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as uh, Paul is writing to this church, they're going through a difficult time, and, and Paul says this. Is everybody there, by the way? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And in verse 13, Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. Now underline the uninformed brethren. The idea is don't miss this. About those who are asleep, those who died. So that you will not grieve as the, as the rest who have no hope. I, I love this when he says, do not be uninformed, brethren. Uh, Paul's going to give an end times teaching. He's going to talk about the rapture. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. The only other time that Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he talks about spiritual gifts. So the two times that Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this, is spiritual gifts and uh, end times or, or the rapture. In church world today, it's very common for churches to say there's two things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about spiritual gifts and we don't talk about end times. The two things that Paul said, I don't want you to be uninformed about that. So I don't know what you do with that, but I, I just put that out there. Verses 14 and 15. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, and I've underlined even so, or however your Bible says it, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, and I want you to underline by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive 
and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, I'm about to tell you something very strange before I do. Before you think I've lost my mind, I want to tell you right up front, this comes by the word of the Lord. I'm not making this up. And he says, so if you can believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you can believe what I'm about to tell you. Verses 16 and 17, he says, this is how it's all going to go down or, or up. Verse 16, he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, will be, underline alive and remain, will be caught up, caught up, together with them, underline caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So those of us who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, that implies a last generation. And uh, by the way, you notice that there's the being caught up to be where he is, not that he comes back at this event. But we, we're caught up, we meet him in the air, and uh, we stay where he is. He receives us, we don't receive him. In verse 17, it says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, caught up. Now, the word caught up there in your Bible, in the original Greek language, is the word harpazo, harpazo. And it was in the 300s, the 300s AD, when the Bible was translated into Latin. When the Bible was translated into Latin, the Latin translation, the Latin Vulgate, becomes the official and only translation of the Bible for the next thousand plus years. Literally a thousand years, it was only in Latin. And interesting there in that, in that verse there, in Greek, the word would be harpazo. But in the Latin translation, I put it there in your outline, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And you see that Latin word there is repiamur. I'm probably butchering the translation there. Uh, Together with them the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So rapiamur, rapiamur, however you would say that, in the Latin, which was the only translation for a thousand years, that's how they said it there. But in English, we say that word rapture, rapture. And uh, later on it would say raptus, and, but in English we just say rapture. That's important because you're going to meet people who say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And you say, well, well, it's not in the English Bible, but in the Latin Bible, which was the only Bible for over a thousand years, that word was right there. Does that make sense? Then Paul continues that, and in verse 18, notice what he says in uh, chapter 4 of Thessalonians. He says, therefore, which means based upon what I've just said, here's what I want you to do. Comfort one another with these words. Some of your Bibles would say encourage one another with these words. Now, the the reason I say that is is that Paul taught on the rapture, and you want to write this down, to be a comfort or to be encouraging. That's why he gave that. Paul says, it's from the Lord. What I'm telling you is right from the Lord. And he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So it was not intended to be a strange teaching. It was given to be a comfort to believers. Now the reason, the reason that the rapture teaching was given to be a comfort to believers is there's an event that will take place after the rapture takes place. And that event's known as the, the seven-year uh, tribulation. And that's talked about a great deal. But even in the Old Testament, there's a passage, I put it there in your outline, uh, 
In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, as it talks about this end times event, uh, you have the rapture and then you have the tribulation. Notice what it says. Come my people, and so these would be believers, enter into your rooms. Somebody's going away right now to prepare a place for you. And, and close the doors behind you. At a certain point you go into that, that place and he says, and hide for a little while until the indignation runs its course. Now I'm going to suggest that that indignation will run its course for about seven years. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. Then he goes on, he says, for behold the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the, what's that word? Earth for their iniquity. So the idea is that the believers are removed, tucked away with him, and then, then that indignation takes place. And you notice it says he's about to punish the inhabitants of the earth. This is not a localized event. This is a worldwide event, which is going to encompass about seven years. So that's why it's such a comfort. Now, um, one of the things that, that it's important also to highlight, and I want you to write this down, is that this event called the rapture will happen instantly and be worldwide. You want to write that down. Now, I know you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so I'm going to put the verse back in, in 1 Corinthians on the screen. You'll remember it says there on the screen, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye literally faster than, than the blinking of an eye. So it's, and it's going to be worldwide. There in your outline, when Jesus described this event, here's what he said. Jesus says, I tell you on that night there will be two in one bed. And so we know this is going to take place at night. And then he says, one will be taken and the other will be left. Then he says, two women will be grinding at the same place. Now in, the, uh, in that culture, as Jesus says that, the, the women would get up in the morning and they would grind the meal uh, early in the morning and that would be used to bake bread for the day. So that, that, that implies morning. So you got night, morning. Then he says one will be taken and the other will be left. Then he says two men will be in the field. And so that's daytime, daytime. And one will be taken and the other will be left. So as you read that passage, you notice a few things. First of all, you notice that not everybody's taken. Everybody's taken. One is taken and another one would be left. So this is only believers that are taken. Also, one of the things that hits me we never talk about is in all three of those scenarios, you know the person next to you. You know the person next to you. And uh, so we don't know. Did somebody just not share it uh, or did somebody reject it? Either way, one is taken and, and, and one is left. Now what I also find interesting about this is that Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago and he describes an event that would take place simultaneously day, morning, and night. It's only been about 600 years that people have believed that the earth wasn't flat. See, 600 years ago everybody believed that the, the, that the world was flat. And so um, Jesus 2,000 years ago, I guess being God and creating it, he understood that the world was actually round. Put that out there. Do you find that at least interesting? So he does that. Now, sometime, the Bible teaches sometime after that rapture event, maybe immediately, and there could be a season after that before the next event, but the next event would be uh, there in your outline, we would call the seven-year tribulation. And in Matthew 24, and I want you to remember Matthew 24 because we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit, Jesus is speaking, Jesus is speaking, and he says, for then shall be great tribulation. 
uh, such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now, no, nor ever shall be. The, the word tribulation in the original language is thalipsis. It means like you smash a grape is the idea. So it's going to be an, an incredible time. That seven-year tribulation is broken up into two parts. We won't go into it today, but uh, the, the second part's called the Great Tribulation. So the first three and a half years, there's going to be room, death, uh, there's going to be war, death, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, a third of the world dies. That's the first part. And then the second part gets bad. So that's, that's how that, that goes down. It's in that seven-year tribulation, if you've ever heard of the one called the Antichrist, he is revealed when that all begins, and that's after the rapture. And if you've ever heard of something like the mark of the beast, that takes place during that time period called the tribulation. There in your outline it says no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. So it will be in that time that there will be this attempt at this one world government. It's not really going to hold together all that well. But again, uh, we talk about that in our Revelation series. If you haven't been through that, you, you, might, you might find it, find it interesting. So you have the tribulation. After the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back, and we call that the second coming. And I want you to write this down. Jesus comes back with his church. The rapture, church goes up. Second coming, church comes back down. Uh, that's found, and in, in write down, this, Jesus comes back with his church to the earth. You can find that in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 6. I put the address there. You can, you can read that. That's at the end of the book of Revelation. But Paul would describe it like this, there in your outline. So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And then what's that word? With all his saints. So the idea is that you have the rapture of the church, Jesus comes for his saints, we meet him. We're tucked away during that time of indignation, and then at the end of the tribulation, we come back with him, which is a, a bigger story than we can go into today. So my question has always been, can you, know, can you know the time period when all of that takes place? Did Jesus give signs, or are there signs in the Bible to say, watch for these things so that you'll know that you're in that time period? Well, we have what we call an end times update, and you can pick that up if you want to track some of this down in greater detail. But I wanted to just give a few things that the Bible very, very clearly says, look for this and then you will know. So one of the things that we'll see, we'll call the signs of the end times. The big sign that kind of kicks everything off is that Israel becomes a nation again. Write that down. Becomes a nation again. Which took place in 1948. And I've put there in your outline Ezekiel 36 and 37. One verse from that which talks about Israel in the last days becoming a nation again. So in, in Ezekiel 36, one verse he says there in your outline, for I will take you out of the nations, plural, and I will gather you from all the countries, plural, and bring you back into your own land. And again, Ezekiel 36 and 37 is a straightforward reading about the time period when God would bring the nation of Israel back into its homeland. The nation of Israel is the only nation on the planet in the history of the world who existed outside of their homeland for 2,000 years. But in May of 1948, they became a nation again. This has never happened in world history where a nation becomes a nation again after being literally removed from their homeland. This prophecy 
of Israel becoming a nation again, when the early church looked at it, it seemed so impossible that the early church began to say, well, that's never going to happen. So that must be allegorical. It must be metaphorical. It must be a a spiritual message. But that's not what happened. Israel literally became a nation again. And what that did, and we'll talk about this, that began a time clock. It's like somebody flipped the switch. You know, when, when, uh, uh, when a woman is pregnant, she's pregnant for nine months. And as she goes, she becomes more and more uncomfortable. And at times there's some contractions and there's, there's difficulty. But at a certain point, labor kicks in. And when labor kicks in, all of a sudden things begin to move faster and faster. The contractions come closer and closer and they become more and more intense. Pretty much how it works. That's the idea. And so when Israel became a nation, that was like flipping the switch, beginning, beginning labor. So, um, so that begins that. So Peter would say it like this, interesting about the last days there in your outline. Peter says, first of all, you must understand, I love this, first of all, you got to get this, you must understand that in the last days, underline last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised, ever since the fathers died? Everything goes on as it has from the beginning of creation. We're talking about the last days. Then underline this, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, and I've, I've underlined God's word very, very strongly, the heavens existed and the earth was formed. So he says in, in the last days, one of the things that's going to be characteristic is that scoffers will come mocking the Lord's coming. Now, it's important to understand that these are not Muslims, they're not Buddhists, because Muslims and Buddhists don't know about the Lord's coming and they don't care. The only people who know about it would be people sitting in church, professing believers. Does that make sense? We're the only ones who could be mocking this. It says, now when they do this, it's going to be something very interesting in the last days. Notice one of the other things that they embrace. I had you underline, it says, but when they do this, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, heavens existed and the earth was formed. In that last generation, in the last days, one of the things that you'll find, those who would be mocking people going to church, they're also going to be embracing another process by which it all came into existence. They, and they deliberately forget that it all came into existence by God's word. What would that other process be that even professing Christians would embrace as far as the process that it all came into existence? Evolution, evolution. So uh, apparently they're embracing that. By the way, we are the first generation in all of church history where professing believers have embraced another process. And so write this down. In the last days, professing Christians will deny that God created the earth by his word. Do you remember when I said that Israel was kind of like flipping the switch? That was kind of like began the last days? You would be very, very hard pressed to find a group of believers in church prior to Israel becoming a nation, a group of believers in church who said, yeah, we believe in evolution. That did not start to permeate the church until after Israel became a nation. Didn't mean that there weren't people that believed that, but, but it didn't begin to permeate the church until after that time. So if you're here today and you profess to be a Christian, 
but you embrace another process other than God said and it was, then you are the fulfillment of that last day's prophecy. And I can tell you, you do not want to be the fulfillment of that prophecy. Because when you profess to be a believer and you deny the opening line of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You go, I don't buy that. And then you secondly deny the opening process. God said, let there be, and there was. What you do is, and I know you don't mean to, but what you do is you place yourself in a position where you're really smarter than God. You know more than he knows. I would say that when you do that, you have just aligned yourself with somebody who in times past thought himself to be smarter than God. And it did not work out well for him. I would encourage you before you embrace what I think is the biggest hoax, evolution, you should check out uh, the truth of what God says and then also find why evolution denies solid science and denies the laws of, of, of uh, thermodynamics. It, it's, it's a fascinating study. In about 10 minutes, you would never believe in evolution again. So far, so good? Then in Luke's gospel, it says something interesting of that time. Jesus is speaking of his return. And uh, Jesus says, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. And it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Something very unique was going on in that time. So go ahead and write this down. Jesus says it will be the same as the days of Lot. Now, Lot gets one chapter. Lot's a guy. He's Abraham's nephew. Abraham's nephew. And uh, Jesus points to that and says, whatever was going on there is going to be the picture just before I come back. And it's going to be just the same on that day, literally. So you, you know the story, the two angels come to the city of Sodom, they uh, appear as men, and so they find Lot. Lot is a believer, he's a mess, but he's a believer, and Lot invites them to stay at his house. Well, two verses and two verses only, again, in our end times update, we go through the whole prophecy, but, but here's what it says. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house both young and old, underline that, young and old, and all the people from every quarter, every quarter, underline that. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. And I'm not going to define what that is. You get the picture. So they surround the household of the believer and they demand that, that they send out the men to have relations. I had you underline young and old. Did you underline young and old? says, men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old. So here's what this means in that time period. Whatever was going on there, because it's young and old, was being taught to the young as normal behavior. Had to be taught to the young as normal behavior. And then it goes on and it says, both young and old, and people from every quarter. So what this means is that whatever was going on was apparently widespread. It was widespread. So this group surrounds the household of the believer, demanding their way upon the believer. Now, as you read the story, and I encourage you to get the End Times update, what you find is before they break down the door and enforce their way on the household of the believer, the believer is literally removed. Well, we were all, you know, if you wonder, do we, do we live in that day? We were all last year shocked, many of us, when our Supreme Court said that, that same-sex marriage is now a constitutional right. 
since that time, when you think of it, uh, some people have uh, lost their businesses because they say, I can't participate. Some have been sued, lost tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some people have even been thrown in jail because they said, I can't participate. It used to be in our country, if you didn't do your job, they just fired you. But we all saw somebody last year who didn't do their job and they threw them in jail because they would not embrace this one thing very specifically. Now, when uh, you go to a retail store, you don't know who's allowed to go into the bathroom anymore. We've heard just this past week that now it's being mandated that uh, boys are now permitted to go into your girl's bathroom, the girl's locker room, and into the girl's shower. And so this day of lot is really moving forward And I can tell you, because it's going to be like birth pains, it's going to get more and more intense and closer and closer together. It's just going to continue to accelerate. But that is the sign of his coming. That is the sign of his coming. That's not to bash anybody. It's just what Jesus says, look for this, and then you'll know that's the sign. That make sense? Also interesting, in uh, Matthew 24, and I told you to remember Matthew 24, Jesus asked three questions. I'm sorry, the disciples asked Jesus three questions. And uh, they come to him and they say, it says there in your outline, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when, I've underlined that, I put number one there, when will these things happen? And then what will be the number two sign of your coming? And then number three, the end of the age. So the disciples asked three questions of Jesus. They had paired in their minds his coming with the end of the age. And so Jesus takes the entire chapter of Matthew 24 and uh, he, he gives this incredible end times teaching. And so we can't look at all of it. It's a, it's a fascinating study. I just wanted to look at a couple of verses. But one of the things that Jesus said, and we looked at one verse a few moments ago, but there in Matthew 24 verses 6 through 8, One of the things that he says, and I want you to underline, he says, see that you are not frightened. Everybody see that? You want to underline that. And then he says, for those things must take place. But that's not the end. That's not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Underline earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Underline that, birth pangs. Uh, the beginning of birth pangs. The idea is at a certain point, labor kicks in. When labor kicks in, the, the contractions are farther apart. But as that labor goes on, they get closer and closer and more and more intense. And so some of those birth, birth pangs that he talks about, wars, and we've certainly seen over the last few years, the, the um, Arab Spring, the entire Middle East has been rearranged. We see what's going on in Europe. You know, there's war in Syria, there's war in Afghanistan, there's war in Yemen, there's, you know, war in in Iraq, and the list goes on and on and on. And it doesn't seem to be going away. It seems to be increasing as we go. One of the things that I found very interesting is he specifically mentions earthquakes. Did you underline that? And, and the reason I find that interesting is that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus says, this is what you want to look for at that time when I come back, he says earthquakes. You know, 2,000 years ago, if an earthquake struck off the coast of Japan, which created a tsunami that, that caused the death of tens of thousands of lives, you would never know that in Israel. 
So apparently this had to happen in a time period when you could know and you could see and you could discern these things are actually increasing. I believe that you and I are in that time. So if you were to track from the time that Israel became a nation, and you can do this, they have graphs and charts in a number of different places, you'll see that there's been an exponential increase uh, of, of earthquakes taking place. Not just increase in number of earthquakes, but the size of the earthquakes are, are much larger than, than uh, you know, the, what, what they used to be. Now, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, Jesus says, it's also going to be like this when I return. He says there in your outline, again, Matthew 24, he says, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage. And uh, what I find so interesting is that we live in a time like that, don't we? I mean, we, we, we see wars, we see famine, we see all types of disaster and all types of terrible things. And, you know, at the same time, you know, we're eating, we're drinking, we're, we're getting married, you know, so life is kind of going on. So, so what what I would say to that, and you want to write this down, apparently it's going to be business as usual in a very unusual time. A very unusual time. It also tells me when it says that they were buying and they were selling, uh, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, giving in marriage, but uh, flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Another place it would say that they were buying, they were selling. One of the things that we get, if that's going on, then it's not going to be a worldwide economic collapse before Jesus comes back. Because although earthquakes and those things are going to be taking place, there's still going to be an economy. People are still going to be buying and selling. They're still going to be giving and marriage building and things of that nature. Well, there is so much more that I would love to go into, but we just don't have the time to go into all of it. So on the one hand, we see Israel has come back into the land, just like the Bible said. And we see the days of Lot increasing, just like the the Bible said. There's earthquakes, there's war, and, and all of these things. So what is our response to be as Christians? Well, a a few moments ago I had you underline where he says, make sure that you're not afraid. And we all underline that. I'm not afraid as I see these things happen. I'm excited. I'm excited. I don't like these things happening, but I'm excited to know that you and I live in the most fantastic generation the world has ever known where biblical prophecy is unfolding before our very eyes. And it's completely undeniable. These things are specifically happening. So what do we do? And, and uh, just a tidbit about our family. One of the things that we look at, we see all these things happening. There's wars, there's uh, earthquakes, there's famines and all these things. On the other hand, you know, giving in marriage, buying and selling, that sort of thing. So what do you do? Well, I, I don't believe that you and I as believers are called to build a bunker or move to my, Wyoming or Montana. Uh, I do think that we need to be prepared for eventualities. For those of you who've been in Florida long enough, you'll remember Hurricane Andrew. Any of you Hurricane Andrew people here today? Yeah, we all moved up here, didn't we? And one of the reasons we moved up here is uh, I can tell you in our house, we were without electricity for six weeks. When you have 11 kids at home and you're without electricity for six weeks, you need to be prepared. So we need to be prepared for the eventualities. But on the other hand, um, that doesn't mean that we build a bunker. So but how did Jesus call us to respond in that generation? Well, I want you to notice this verse there on your outline. Jesus says, I want you to occupy until I come. Occupy until I come. So for us as a church, what that means is that if Jesus comes this year, or he comes in 20 years, we're still going to be going forward. We're still going to be going to college. We're still going to be starting businesses. We're still going to be reaching our friends to the best of our ability. We're still going to be going forward, occupying until he comes. 
with the knowledge that we live in a very unique generation. Does that make sense? And with that, I'm going to wrap up there. Did you find that interesting today? Good. And, and guys, I can tell you there's so much more. We just can't go into it today. But we do have an end times update. I encourage you to get that and see if these things are literally taking place before our eyes. Let's go ahead and, and pray. Father, as we wrap this up today, a, a few things that hit me. First of all, in that scenario where one is taken and one is left, we don't know. Did somebody not share or did somebody just reject? And, and Father, our heart is to make sure that we have shared with everybody that we know. And, and Jesus, we do believe that you meant it. You talk about this event. You talk about these things so much that, that uh, they must be true. And so our desire is that in this time period where you've called us to be, in this time and in this place geographically, help us to represent you well to the people around us. Father, we don't want anybody to be here to face that. And then, Lord, help us to know with discernment how we are to proceed in all things. Father, I pray that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.